1: Hello, my name is Joseph Friedman with the CRX Podcast, which is a podcast that's directly related to articles in the CRX magazine that comes out quarterly. This is all under the Pharmacy Podcast Network, where I used to have a podcast called The Medical Podcast with Todd Urey, but I'm thrilled to be a part of that. And in addition, uh, I'm a pharmacist with a master's in business and uh, I owned and operated a medical cannabis dispensary that uh, was very unique in Illinois, being the only one that was pharmacy-centric and very proud of that and had a lot of fun with that. It's been kind of surreal at the same time. What I'm trying to do is get the good word out about the benefits of medical cannabis that's fair and balanced uh, for all of you folks. You can find the... CRX Podcast on crxmag.com or Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Enjoy listening.
2: You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network.
3: This is the PGX for Pharmacists podcast. We believe pharmacists are the best positioned providers to lead in PGX. Pharmacogenomics is the study of how genes affect a person's response to drugs. This relatively new field combines pharmacology and genomics to develop effective, safe medications and doses that will be tailored to a person's genetic makeup. This podcast is dedicated to pharmacists with an interest in learning more about the data analytics, industry trends, and evidence-based usage of pharmacogenomics. Welcome to PGX for Pharmacists, part of the Pharmacy Podcast Network.
4: Hi, we're back, guys, and for people who still don't know me, I'm Benaz Sisterami. I'm the pharmacist and medical science liaison for a PGX company, and I've been coaching pharmacists for years now and starting their own PGX consulting career, but most importantly, the host to the largest pharmacy podcast network here at PGX for Pharmacists, and today we have a unique guest with us, Dr. Jessica Wilon. Hello. Hi, thank you for coming on. I, I know you're very
2: busy. Uh, but I'm I appreciate you being here. I'm excited. So yeah, you know me. I can hear it in your voice. Yeah, yes. <laughs> that's awesome. Yes. Um,
4: Dr. Mulan is a nurse practitioner, but you're not your typical nurse practitioner. She's, uh has a very diverse background and education with extensive experience in mental health and PGX combined. She's actually a very good friend of mine. I I brag about that all the time. And she's got a brilliant mind when you sit with her. It's kind of an experience I cannot explain. (laughs) Hopefully this podcast will kind of bring that out. She's a CEO in uh, Inclusive Health System. Despite having autism throughout her training and career, she's received several scholarship honors and awards. She's a policy and political advocate and participates in multiple organizations to support healthcare legislation. She's been recognized and published by American Nurses Association as part of their year of advocacy. She's also recognized as an industry and national thought leader, has been invited to the advisory board members of psychiatric research and companies such as Allergan, APFI, and Teva, just to name a few. And she's a national speaker for medications such as Ubrelvi, Roylor, fedsema Vibrid, Rixalti, and more. Uh, I can this whole podcast would just be probably an introduction uh, on, on Dr. Vilan. But since um she's since she's done so much and continues to do a lot more, she's my role model. And I try to do my best to learn from her and her knowledge of PGX. So I will let her introduce herself, but. She had me at, you know, people say she, you know, I, you had me at hello. She had me at a uh, couple of genes here. So we'll talk about those and <laughs> diagnose my personality based on those. So we'll we'll talk about them, but we'll talk about them. But I'll let yeah. her introduce herself and uh, how she got to where she's at. And most importantly, how she uses PGX in her practice and kind of let
2: her introduce herself. Definitely. Thank you so much. I feel like I have a giant set of shoes to fill now, which is awesome. Thank you. Um, well, I have been a practicing clinician like, um as, uh, introduced and for me, um, let's see, PGX has been still, it's been a journey. I feel like I was a very early adopter into PGX, how I got there. So for me, I always like to think like being kind of that contrary I joke I was born uh, a month early but first and I've been the same way ever ever since Um, so I've always had to try and push the bounds do things differently find a a better path. And, um, in practice, especially in mental health, I've noted, you know, when I was an RN on the floor, even just a baby nurse, I started noticing, you know, this is a, this is a population or just anyone struggling with mental illness. I felt like there was always this gap, like, why don't we have some kind of testing? Why are we not looking at the whole picture for the person? So ever since I've been in practice, I like to say that I'm an integrative um, psychiatry specialist, I do um, holistic based care and functional psychiatry. So I don't just look at, oh, here's this diagnosis, you've got this label, you have these symptoms, now I'm going to plop on this DSM diagnosis and throw some algorithm medication. Because what I noticed as a nurse on the floor is the majority of patients didn't get well with that. Um, and psychiatry seemed to be an area where it was this chronic continual revolving door for patient's health. And I was like, there has to be a reason for this. We're must not be making that approach the best way, um, possible. So for me, it started a lot with, I'm going to do a dig into their healthcare. Um, I think because my psych background started in geriatrics and in autism related, um, illnesses. I think that was a huge moment for me with integrating because those patients, especially have less ability, a lot of times to communicate their needs, wants, and what's going on. So you have to become a detective. Um, the more that you're working with populations where people may not be able to speak what's going on with them, it then becomes The clinician, the nurses, the pharmacists, everybody's job to kind of work together as a team to figure out okay, how can we best help this client? What's going on? And from there, it became testing a lot with blood work, looking at what medical things were exacerbating. When I discovered genomics and doing testing, and I think it's actually the autism that actually plays a great role for me and I have to be thankful for my crazy brain sometimes using crazy tongue in cheek. It's, you know, not to be rude language out there, but I, you know, I, I own my weird and I own my quote crazy. Um, so my autism brain, um, really is good at noticing patterns and what I started seeing when I started doing PGX testing in my office is certain clients struggling with certain illnesses. Um, or certain even environmental things, we'll call it like more prone to being in abusive relationships or more prone to um, doing well in school or all of these things, my brain started like ticking in and I started noticing certain gene traits and multiple genes that would work together and how they would start to pan. It wasn't until later that I found out that the majority of the world doesn't think like this. (laughs) And that you was, think? <laughs> we have. I just assumed everyone saw that <laughs> when they were doing genetic testing, that they saw all the patterns that I see. Um, and that's where I got really passionate about educating because I, I started having patients that were coming into my office and they say, it, it isn't uncommon for me to have gotten a patient. That's like, you are my last hope. If you, my, my plan is suicide. If you don't fix me. Um, and I was like, okay, no pressure. Um, when you get those kind of clients that have tried, feel like they've tried everything and they were getting nowhere. Those were the patients that I loved taking. Cause I was like, let me try the way I approach things because I know it's different than how other people are approaching things. And let's see, just give me this opportunity and give me this chance to do well with your care. And we might go on this journey and find that, things are, you know, we can actually get better. Um, PGX has been such a a staple in that because um, I've seen for a long period of time in the patterns of how people respond, react, et cetera, um, not just environmentally, but then I could apply the medications, what works, what doesn't work. What I found was the biggest, one of the biggest barriers is, we'll call, I always, I'm sorry out there if it's offensive, but I always call them the old cadre psychiatrists who didn't want to change. we like, it's not ready for prime time. Um, I can't tell you how often I heard that in my face when I would go to some of my colleagues at the national level. And it's so exciting because this year we're seeing like a shift to really start to happen where we're seeing more PGX being introduced across the board. For that, I like to say I was doing it first. No, <laughs> <laughs> that's cute. but uh, no, I think it's great that people are finally getting more on board and we're getting a, more into the research. I still think there's so much education to be had because the thing about genetics, it's not this where you can be like, Oh, I have this gene. So this medicine works. And that's what everyone wanted. But the problem is, is genetics also interplay. We're, we're, we're a little more complex than that. So people do need to understand, um, and if there's one take home point, the way the genes work, understanding what the gene does and then how it relates to also other genes can be very impactful for then how you're going to treat your patient. Um, and I have to, I try and look at that overall picture when I'm even picking medicines, because you might have a patient that will say, okay, let's say they're a COM team at Met. means they have extra dopamine in the prefrontal cortex because they're not breaking it all down, but they may also be a DRD2 deletion, which means they have low density of that dopamine receptor in the prefrontal cortex. So to, typically a COMT team at Matt, if they're anxious and they're stressed out, you want to modulate that dopamine and you could look at atypicals for that patient. A lot of the reports will actually say, oh, this patient may do well with an anti, atypical antipsychotic for their symptoms. Well, if you're not looking at the fact that they're also a DRD2 deletion, you're about ready to maybe throw on some medicines that are going to cause some serious akathisia because they have those low density in the prefrontal cortex. So knowing how those two work together, and I'll tell you that person usually looks very depressed and very stressed out when they're a com team at met with DRD2 deletion, they have extra dopamine with nowhere for it to go. So in today's society in this fast pace, they're not sleeping. They're, they're running, running, running their mind. It's seriously, it's, it's a very anxious, obsessive kind of person you're dealing with right there. How are you going to treat that? That's then the next step um, that I always like to take. And then also looking at other genes because that's how you can really pick best gene for the scenario for the patient.
4: Yeah, and I feel like you're right with that that uh, resistance of some psychiatrists with their old ways but because I think a lot of us still don't have the education and so that's really key to educating because uh, I know it's a lot of trial and error but I think maybe a lot of uh, providers and correct me if I'm wrong they think that this is a a thing you look at and just pick a medication, it's just another guide, like another tool, just like we have. And I've said this before in other episodes where we have like a um, diabetes guideline or blood, oh. blood pressure guideline, it's just another tool to use to kind of figure yeah. out where to go. Not necessarily look at a piece of paper, the report, look at it raw, and say, Okay, from this box, I can pick this medicine and go. Right. Like, you have to have this whole entire um picture. education piece behind exactly picture yes. behind it and that's where it's missing that key so how, and i don't know how to, how instead of educating which is part of what i do all day um do and uh, like how do we get it massively out there educate more clinicians out there more pharmacists to help their clinicians yes. or everybody really i, I just don't know well, if you have a better way to massively yeah. do that because there's a lot of people to reach and there's a lot of people that need the
2: help. And I think starting here in like this kind of space so the word can spread and how people are doing it, applying it um, is exceptionally important. What you're doing today is half the battle is getting it out there in that. No, you're not going to read just right across a line. And this is another reason my other favorite topic is epigenetics, so how I always tell people that i, look yeah, I at love that my practice yes because that's <laughs> gonna, you have to factor that in when you're looking at this genomic data you can't just be like okay they're a com team Matt. Mat, that's it um because most of the time you have tons of com team Matt mat individuals walking around highly successful not having any mental illness issues same with a drD2 deletion you have plenty of them walking around that aren't affected in a way that they're becoming clinical, where they're becoming someone that needs assistance with medication. So how did this person get here? What are the predispositions that brought this person to this space? Those are all things that are very um, important. So for me, I can look at the genes and I can be like, okay, under stress, trauma and pressure, this person's most likely going to react this way and this is what's gonna happen. And if they become, quote, clinical, these are the kind of medications that it can prescribe that are more likely to be affected. How do we start testing that? Again, it comes down to understanding what that gene does, understanding how it works in the brain, and then you're going to apply your treatments based on that. So making sure that, you know, because here's another thing. So most of the reports say on a team met met Use an atypical antipsychotic, but I'm here to tell you what I always say with my comp team meds, they are used to being higher functioning than the average bear. They're used to be running a little bit. I call it a little bit hypomanic. It could be functional hypomania. So let me throw that out there. Not every, like not clinical. Um, They're used to be running as usually more intelligent, usually smarter, quippy, like they're used to running fast. If you give them those medications that block dopamine entirely, the ones that say on the report, the majority of them are going to say, I hate this medicine. I don't like the way I feel because you're blocking too much dopamine. And they, that's how they like identify that is like who they are like i am a like they're used to being the smartest in the class they're used to being the leader the functional the go 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 i only sleep 6 to 7 hours 7 is pushing it 6 is pushing it um so once you start giving them a medication that really pushes the other way, you're really working against them genetically in the way that they're used to functioning. So for a lot of my patients, if they're not into a full-blown psychosis or something like that, I'm really looking at maybe a mood stabilizer. I'm looking at something that's gonna modulate that dopamine and help support maybe some of the other genes around it. Let's say they're a glutamate, a GRIK1 mutation CC, and that makes them even more ruminative. Usually, if I throw on a lamectal to that individual, they're not going to feel that crushing of dopamine, but they're not going to flip into a psychotic mania now. And I'm addressing the glutamate and GABA modulation from other genetics that they might have had on board. To me, that's then a more perfect fit than just reading that report that says, oh, COMT Met may do well with atypical antipsychotic. So you really have to put a little brain power behind it because I think also people were afraid that genetics was going to take over the clinician's job. That's not true. Um, Yeah, I've heard that as well. You still need that interpretation to know how things work, to know the epigenetics, to understand how their social background came into play um, and what that meant for a patient. Um, And that's how I apply it in practice. And then on top of that, and then we'll get one layer deeper because, you know, I always have to do a things a little extra contrary to popular belief. Which is <laughs> why awesome.
4: we love you. Yes. You know, like I said, like I was saying earlier, you know, people say you had me. Hello. Actually, you had me at Comt and MTFHR. Like you were yes. like, I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is brilliant. I love it. But you know, like, like you were saying, uh, to come what you were saying, the calm team at Met, those people are more maybe, um, nervous or have anxiety, but that's, that's how they function. And that's not yeah. necessarily a bad thing. You need to fix it. That's yeah. that's their thriving zone. So that's right. awesome. But
2: yeah, go, go a little further deeper. That's cool. Yeah. Right. So the, the kind of that last layer that I, that's also in this holistic approach, besides looking at the epigenetics and the, the triggers from the environment, It's also looking at those triggers from within those health triggers. So I also say that the genes are going to, the genes are always the roadmap. And then you take those medical conditions also can influence our genetics one way or the other. So, if you have, let's see, uh, we'll go with a map MatMat again, just because it's an easy example, and you give them um, hormones that may be pro dopaminergic. Let's say you give them like some excess testosterone or something going on, um, that can push and influence those genes to be even more prone to being over dopaminergic. And then they're going to be more obsessive, more anxious, and more all the things, more aggressive and all of that. Um, so kind of understanding again, how health conditions can play a role. We also know that progesterone plays a role in, in glutamate, the synthetic, um, the synthetic progesterones, a lot of times actually act oppositely on the Sigma receptor from how we would like them to. Um, and so to me, that's exactly explains why before we had PGX people would say, Oh, I feel more depressed. I feel more Anxious as soon as I'm put on a birth control. Well, when you're put on something progesterone related in the synthetic, you're actually pushing that glutamate the other way. So, how do I combat that if a patient really needs their um, birth control medication or something? Do I go, maybe I go to a instead of reaching out for a pill to treat the anxiety, um, maybe they need a non-synthetic progesterone and they need actual progesterone or something like that. And they need a compounded medication so that I can keep their medications more minimal instead of just adding on something and adding on something. Um, so being able to really look at that helps individualize that treatment to patients because I'm all about individualized care, personalized medicine, Um, because I call you know, algorithm-based care, I call the 60, 40 model. You might hit, yeah, 60% is the majority, but then 40% of your population is still going to be basically SOL to that algorithm. So, you know, how fair is that? (laughs) Especially if you're the 40% person who got thrown a medication that may not work for you. That's not cool.
4: Yeah, definitely. And then we, we've talked about, I mean, not you and I, but I've talked about uh, a lot about methylation as well. It's, it's all kind of related, like you're saying, com T, FHR, epigenetics, methylation. I think it's just a big cycle that people have to learn. You can over methylate someone or under methylate, and there's a lot of personalities that come out just because of that. So a, a supplement like a B12, for example, simplest or folic acid you know, knowing how that works and those supplements could just be a key to making all that work correctly. But, you know, yeah. you're the expert. So you talk about that. It's like all supplements right. itself can help with anxiety if for some individuals, yeah. of course, you know, depending on what's going on.
2: Well, but- and I have run an extensive panel in my practice. I usually run what I call my nutrition panel. I'm ready for the day that the you know, the quest and the lab course stop breaking everything out and charging these insurances a million dollars, or that the insurances helped me you know, cover these more small independent companies that run these panels, because I love running a nutrition panel. And I was getting a lot of flack from the community, um, in my area, because they're not used to seeing the kind of orders I run. It's not uncommon. I call it the, you know, the, May, the mini Mayo, uh, workup of the Midwest, because we really that functional, integrative preventative approach is, is missing highly in the Midwest. Um, I would basically run A, E, D, K, all the Bs, um, C, zinc, magnesium, and I'd run it on the RBC level and in the plasma level um, to see where patients nutritional status is at, because it's amazing when their gut isn't absorbing and when they're deficient, exactly like you said. It's going to, and it pushes those genetic tendencies a certain way toward anxiety, toward depression. That's why we've said for years, okay, vitamin D can, like low vitamin D can cause depression. Low B12 can cause depression and psychosis. So can low folate. Why did we check those things? Well, we check those things because they can lead to that, but the question, and then one step deeper Well, what was it that led to that? Not just the deficiencies, but how did this person get deficient? If they're eating fine, is it, do they have a gut issue? Do they have um, genetic tendency not to absorb things? I like to know the whys and dig deep on that because that's going to help each patient that's sitting in front of me get to total wellness? Because the answer is not, I used to say all the time, insulin resistance is one of my favorite examples of this. I have so many patients coming in with this anxiety and depression that's starting because their body starts sensing the insulin um, resistance way before anything else. And it reacts and it like anxious, moody, um, Sort of way. And they'll come in and they'll think that they have this stuff. I don't care. I can throw as much Lexapro on it as I want. That's not going to fix the problem. So unless I know that their C-peptide and insulins are elevated and that's what's creating the genetic effect, I can give that Lexapro and they'll get like halfway to wellness maybe if that's their gene tendencies and that's a whole other conversation of who would respond well to lexapro versus a lamictal in this case but um <laughs> <laughs> it's just whatever medicine i could throw on it is only yeah. going to be half of the battle if i'm not actually also addressing at the same time that insulin resistance because that's actually a quote epigenetic trigger that's pushing that roadmap toward something um So that's why it's so important for clinicians and pharmacists and everyone to be working together to really offer that best care. I, I mean, I am a, I am a huge testing nut. I love to get the clinical picture ahead of time. And then as I say, hand it off to the other specialists in a nice little wrapped up bow. I'm like, here's the problem. <laughs> now you specialists can take over and do what you need to do for that extra enhanced layer. But let me figure out what the problem is first truly, mm-hmm. and where the areas of weakness are and where we can focus on that so that we're really getting patients to the right place, the right time, instead of, as I like to say, the current medical model, which is like, let's wait until your leg falls off with diabetes. <laughs> that's and fine. that's when we're going we're gonna to treat you is because you have gangrene on your toes. Like, oh my goodness. <laughs> and, I mean,
4: those those are brilliant. How like like I said before, like I could sit for hours and talk to you. It's just amazing. Your mind is amazing. But I just wonder, like, if people want to either whether it's clinicians, pharmacists, whatever um, career they they are in, want to learn more about all these things you're we saying. I don't think there's one. There is not one place for them to go. It's just understanding and reading and reading and reading but do you know of any specific place they can go to learn more because learning is one thing but connecting the dots and making it big picture is a whole different process you also so need to have
2: a little so. trade secret i am working on my own um webinars as we speak to start educating in the way that i approach things um before there was what i'm gonna try and build and put out there um in particular for educating on specific pieces. I used to just, if I had a question about a gene, I I obviously started with the company that I was running the PGX through. And I would talk with the MSLs. I would learn everything I could about it um, from what they knew. Then usually because it was still less than what I wanted, because I always want more. uh, (laughs) Who doesn't? (laughs) Um, I would basically go to the literature. I would look up, if it was Com team, I met, I would look it up. I would look at all the rap models. I would look at what are they studying? What does this mean? What, what are they seeing? And I would start kind of just applying that to what I was seeing in my own cases and my own caseloads. And then, um, from there, that's how I gathered a lot of my knowledge. Um, You know, there were times, so BDNF is a good example. I had so many patients, you know, they're always like, oh, the BDNF mutation responds maybe to lithium. Well, not everybody can take lithium. Not everyone can tolerate lithium. Um, So I looked at, okay, well, what does BDNF do? I went back to the literature when I was just a baby and all of this, trying to figure out how BDNF really worked in the brain and what it was assisting with. So it really helps. in again, being a glutamate modulator and decreasing glutamate. So when I was looking for patients that were having the BDNF mutation and or the glutamate mutation, I was like, what can I do to enhance BDNF, especially if lithium is not going to be the option. And because BDNF blocks glutamate, I was like, okay, I probably need to block glutamate in someone that has dysfunctional BDNF. And so I started reaching for drugs and there wasn't many at the mark on the market when I first started this. There was basically Namenda and Nudexta, um, and ketamine was bar- was barely accessible at the time. Um, you basically had to go get it through private private means because it spravado had not hit the hit the floor yet. Um and some CBD and some supplements. So I started using a lot of um, uh, Dexta, like off the chain. Um, it became one of my huge staples for assisting these patients that had these mutations and go figure, it worked. Um, <laughs> because again, understanding what the gene does, how it works in the brain and what you're trained to target as far as the dysfunction. That's going to help your patient best. Um, now, I just need the literature to catch up to say, oh, yes, this medicine does work on BDNF and glutamate mutations. We see this functionally. It's also enrolling the right patients and getting, getting these clinical thing started, I also need like a right and left hand to help me write up all my case studies for the stuff that I've done in practice. (laughs) Um, That is how this is going to start. That's how this is going to keep rolling and continue to help our patients.
4: Yeah, so for those people on the call that don't know about BDNF, you might want us. Uh, maybe want to educate us on that. I think it's kind of the fertilizer of the brain. That's what they call it. I've heard, and you know, it yeah. helps regenerate nerves, and it does. you know, it
2: does a lot. It's an
4: anti-inflammatory. Like mm-hmm. you can name it. It does a lot. Yes, um, but again, uh, I know you'll talk about the BDNF of a short and a very short. Um, so we might need to time, do, a separate, we should do a separate session. I know, you so know, a whole separate session for each, uh, <laughs> each gene. But the thing is, all those uh, education that you just talked about and reading and learning and reading and connecting, I don't know if a lot of clinicians would take the time to do all that because, you know, oh. That that's that's the that's the piece that I think is missing everywhere. Yeah, and cl- and clinicians just doesn't mean necessarily all MDs. It could be um, pharmacists. It could be like any
2: kind of um, anybody it could person be therapy, helping a patient. PT. Exactly. I mean, understanding how someone's going to respond. I mean, I had an, a good example of this in physical therapy. So I I love working with brain injury clients. Brain injury. Um, it's another one of my f- favorite interests. Anything complex and weird, I love it. So, in this area, I've also gotten the nickname as zebra doctor. Um, Zebra doctor. (laughs) Which I love. I love that I've been awarded that title. Um, It's it's, it's cool to me. But with these, I had a patient that had brain injury, and one of the first things they love to do for quote aggressive behavior is um, plop on some Risperdal. Okay. Well, I have this patient that's going into their physical therapy and their girlfriend actually hooks them up because they were seeing them at the time (laughs) and was like, can you please see my significant other? They're not doing well and they're going to kick him out of physical therapy because he's getting aggressive. So my first session with this client is basically the client can't even form any words all that client can do is muster yes and no. So over about an hour and a half I took with this client, I was able to gather that the patient wanted to interact with PT, but something was slowing them down so much in the brain that they couldn't process, like they couldn't move muscle to 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 getting it out there like their brain the thought of wanting to move their hand they couldn't get it from brain to hand now being an aspie we understand this kind of stuff all the time because we have all kinds of weird stuff like that so um but i also had a little insight from having worked with patients long term and risperdal historically in and, and a lot of my clients has done exactly that it's caused issue and the more and the less dopamine they have on board in their brain, they may be agitated, but that doesn't mean they need their dopamine crushed. If you have a calm T Val they can get agitated and they can get irritable. But if you crush that, I'm telling you, my husband being a Val he probably wouldn't love that. I'm talking about that, but you get, he was on a medication that blocked dopamine and he literally lost a job over it. Thank you. A hospital not going to mention who, but you know, a place that should be the most understanding terminated and based on a new med change. These are things that patients come into my office fearful about all the time. Like, am I going to lose this? Am I going to, is this going to happen to me? Um, for this client that had that brain injury, basically the first thing I did was took him off what was definitely stunting his abilities um, because he actually needed dopamine in his brain, especially post. Brain injury crushing all that is not very helpful in in helping their growth. Second, you need something that's going to either modulate that GABA glutamate most of the time because there's damage that's going on. So. It, the best neural literature will even support using neuroprotective drugs in this case. Why in my area, they love to throw antipsychotics on everything irritable maybe they make money on it in their personal pharmacy. I don't know. Um, but, um, I pulled that off first thing, put him on a neuroprotective mood stabilizer. In this case, I used, um, Carbitrol. Um, I actually used a Quetro because it was, um, and that it, it's labeled for, um, mood Mood changes and um, bipolar disorder. And so, put this patient on that medication. Within one week, words were coming back. Within two weeks, sentences were coming back. He did not get kicked out of physical therapy and basically started on as if, you know, everything was improving. In just that one change from knowing basically genetically that he was low dopamine, should never have been put on a risperdone. Uh, because that's only going to basically shut down any ability to process. Because if you got little dopamine as it is, and then you're needing more, uh, and they pretty much put like a mega crusher of it on board to quote, control the agitation, he was never going to get better. He was going to get kicked out of PT. He was not going to be able to continue on post this um, extreme traumatic brain injury he had. And we would have had basically a case of vegetable like non-functional dis- disability client, um, which is not fair to the client. Like they really, you know, needed other other medications. And so I see this, this is the stuff now that because I know so much about PGX, it actually lights my hair on fire because now that I like what I when I know what I know, I'm just like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you're prescribing this to this person. Like I barely have to even like, cause I can pick up sometimes on what genes people might be without even running their genes now. I've done so many of them. There are certain ones that pop out, like when I hear about the medications they're on, even before I get them, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's so horrible for this kind of gene type. If we come back and find out that's what it is, ah, I'm like, no wonder you've been feeling like oh.
4: <laughs> Well, Like I say, you you are brilliant and oh. I always try to learn more from you, <laughs> although I'm already in that space and it's just really amazing sitting with you. I know um, we don't have too much time on the on the podcast, but I hope you um, come back and talk more and more and more and um you know I'm, I'm sure we'll meet and speak more about that but 100%. you're you're just really brilliant I well educated in so the PGX and genes and I hope this will inspire other people, other clinicians, pharmacists, everybody to kind of learn more and read more I know we learn a lot in school and read and just want to come out and practice but I think yeah. we there's a lot in in the field there's a lot of information that continuously comes out and we have to keep up with that and so just reading, um is key i think that's really the only thing i can say because i know there's a lot of information to learn we can't go googling them we just have to read literature and yes. learn and connect the dots
2: and, of course, and hopefully
4: people can reach out to you and ask questions yes,
2: I, know I, will 100%. Be. I love questions i am a questions nerd so i love it um i do have um an email um that people can reach me out through my business. Um it's just Jessica J E S S I C A dot Wayland W H E L A N at highhealthsystem.com H I H E A L T H S Y S T E M dot com. Um and so i and, and we will course, post that on
4: there, um yes. uh, on there as well so people can just um Mm-hmm. in case i didn't catch that or we're driving and listening to you uh, to your awesome self they can write that down later but we'll have that right. on there but i appreciate you posing no that because people might want yeah, so to reach
2: out to you i am social media everywhere so i have twitter i have linkedin i have mm-hmm. facebook so even if i hope you're,
4: you're everywhere
2: i i've tried i've tried to yeah. make myself accessible so if yeah. you don't feel comfortable emailing me directly You can also social, or if you're more of a social media person that likes to DM through any of the platforms, they pretty much have all of those, too. So,
4: yeah. Well, thank you for joining us today. I know you're very busy, so I appreciate you you for having me, uh, putting a little piece of your mind to us and uh, giving us some information there. So if you guys ever have have any questions or need to reach out to us, um, it's on the podcast information.
3: Thank you. Thanks for your interest in PGX and for spending some time with us. Please share this podcast and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. For all of our episodes, please visit PGX4RX.com. That's PGX4RX.com.